The following message is brought to you by New Song Church and Pastor Joshua Blunt in Oklahoma City, Oklahoma. For more information on New Song, visit us online at newsongpeople.com. Well, so good to be with you this morning. I missed you over the past couple weeks, not preaching, but I am so grateful that God has given us such amazing communicators. I thought Tondra, I did such an awesome job last week. And then uh, the week before, our very own pastor, Sarah, I thought did such an amazing, amazing job preaching on goodness. And uh, I'm just so grateful that God has given us in-house preachers like them who can step in for me and not just give me uh, some time off, but really people who have uh, who are tuned into the voice of God and are hearing God and bringing the word to you and delivering it in such relevant, real, incredible ways. So Sarah, thank you. Tondra, I was in first service. I already thanked him. Uh, but man, what an awesome church it is to be a part of. Isn't this great? Look around you this morning. We're packed. God is so good. Wasn't worship awesome? I love, I love New Song Church. And man, we got a lot going on right now. In fact, Easter's just a couple of weeks away. And uh, let me just remind you, we are adding friend here, right? In, in other words, we are going to invite people. We're going to get people to church on Easter Sunday. We have a great Easter weekend planned for you. And we really want you to do everything you can to help us fill this place up. Not so that we can pad numbers, but so we can build the kingdom of God. That's what this is really all about. We're not just looking to to be able to say, oh, look how many people we had. We're looking to add people to the family of God, add people to eternal life in Jesus Christ. And so we're saying to you, hey, be praying, be thinking, be inviting, get people here. It all kicks off on Friday. We've got a good Friday online service for you to to watch with us. We're going to take communion together. We're going to remember the cross of Jesus Christ and all he did for us. And then on Saturday, after we're done remembering the cross, we're going to celebrate the resurrection of Jesus Christ on Saturday with our two services and then on Sunday with our three. So it's an incredible opportunity. Let's make the most of it. Let's be used by God. God God wants to do a work and I believe he wants to use you. Can I get an amen? amen? So let's get as many people here and we'll celebrate the resurrection of Jesus and we'll also celebrate Sarah's birthday, April 4th, her birthday. Happy birthday. She's going to be 20. It's going to be awesome. All right, if you got your Bible, go to Galatians chapter 5. Galatians chapter 5. We're in a series right now called A Better Way. And we've been talking about a better way to live, a better way to function, a better way to operate. And that better way is the way of the fruit of the Spirit, allowing the fruit of the Spirit to be produced in our life. And, And let me just tell you something about the fruit of the Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit is the characteristic nature of God. That's what it is. When you're functioning in the fruit of the Spirit, you are functioning in the character of God, and you're displaying the character of God to the world. That's why it's so important that we operate in this. So the Bible says this in Galatians chapter 5, throw it up there, guys. The fruit of the Spirit is, say it with me, church, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And Today we are in week 8 of our series We're going to be talking about gentleness. Turn the person beside you and say, let's get gentle. Let's pray. Lord, we love you. We thank you, God, for your goodness and your grace and your mercy. We thank you for your church, and we thank you that we can come together as the church. We can come together and experience you and and encounter you, and that's what we want today. We don't want to just 
hear a message. We don't just want to go through the motions. We want to have an encounter with the living, loving Jesus Christ. And so, Lord, we we invite you in. We ask you to speak to us, to lead us. We thank you that your word is life to those who find it. And so we don't just uh, sit under it today, but we will eat of it today. We will take it in and allow it to produce the kind of life you've called us to produce in this world. We thank you for what you're going to do today. In Jesus' name, everybody said, amen. 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 Well, a couple of weeks ago, Sarah talked about the fruit of goodness. And if you were here, you remember she talked about how uh, sometimes the fruit of goodness is kind of looked at as like a throwaway fruit. In fact, she called it, she said a lot of people see it as kind of the underdog fruit. But she said it's actually not the underdog fruit, it's actually the overcoming fruit. And it's extremely necessary in our life to operate with this fruit in production. And, and really, that's the truth about every piece of, of fruit in the fruit of the Spirit. They're all necessary to our life. But I think like goodness, I think what we're talking about today, gentleness, is a fruit that sometimes can be seen as maybe not so important. In fact, this week, as I was uh, thinking about gentleness and praying over this message, um, here, here's the word God kind of showed me. He said, I think a, God said, a lot of people see the fruit of gentleness as the special occasion fruit. It's the special occasion fruit is how we see it. It's the fruit we don't need it all the time, but every once in a while we're going to need it. And when we need it, you know, we need to make sure it's available to be able to pull pulled out, you know, and display at that time. But it's not all the time, just every once in a while. It's kind of like those decorations you have in your house that are seasonal, you know. Like at our house, um, we have this dining room table that my wife Sarah decorates to, to match the season that we find ourselves in. So at Thanksgiving time, there's plates and there's, uh, there's table settings and there's a table runner and there's little you know Thanksgiving stuff that she puts out. And when you look at that table, you look at it and you go, yeah, it's Thanksgiving. Like that's, that represents Thanksgiving. And then Christmas comes and everything changes. The plates are swapped out and there's Christmas plates and a Christmas, t- Christmas table settings and there's little trees. And, and now you look at it and you go, Christmas is upon us because the table says Christmas is here. And like right now, it, it's, it's the spring, it's Easter is upon us. And so you go into my house and you look at our dining room table and you're going to see a big basket with these oversized eggs and little bunnies and stuff that makes you go, Easter is here. Spring is upon us. And so we put all this stuff out, and it's really nice stuff. And then we, when the season is over, we put it away. And we don't get it out again until that time of year next year. We don't touch it. We don't use it. It's nice stuff. But we were laughing because on Thursday we were having dinner as a family, and I was noticing like the plates we actually use are these plastic plates that we got at the dollar spot at Target one time. And somehow those are the regular rotation plates in our home. But that other stuff, it's, it's special occasion, you know? And so we pull it out when we need it, and then we put it away until we, until we need it again. And I think sometimes that's kind of how we see gentleness, you know? We don't need it all the time, but when we need it, we need to be able to access it and put it out and display it. Like, you know, if we're, if we're holding a baby, dedicating a baby... We want to be gentle. You know, these parents up here this morning didn't want me like flailing about and kicking at their children and, you know, holding them up and waving them at you. They don't want that. Amen, parents? Okay. (laughs) Got to be gentle. If you're going to like a retirement center where old people are around, you know, we don't want to burst a hip or something. We got to be careful. Be gentle. Or maybe... (laughs) 
burst a hip. Anybody ever burst a hip before? It's painful. Be careful of that. Burst a hip. Welcome to new song. Or, or maybe, maybe you see gentleness as like it's the fruit of the spirit that those people need. Like that guy that has a temper that gets mad, you know, he needs this. Because if he gets too mad, he could get violent and it could be really bad. I'm, we see the fruit of the spirit is gentleness as sometimes it's like a special occasion fruit. We just need it every once in a while. We'll display it when we need it, but we don't need it all the time. Or I think the other problem when it comes to the fruit of the spirit of gentleness is we don't really see the power in it, you know? Like gentleness, when I think of gentleness, I think of people like Mr. Rogers. Like, like Mr. Rogers, he's great. You know, I remember being a kid and, you know, if there's nothing else on, Mr. Rogers was on, you'd sit down and watch it. It'd trip you out a little bit. Sometimes those puppet shows, you're kind of like, what is happening right now? But you'd watch it. And he was nice, you know, took his little shoes off and Tossed him and sang songs and just gentle man. Or I, I think of like Big Bird from Sesame Street. You guys know Big Bird? I liked Big Bird as a kid. Big Bird was pretty cool, you know? What's not to like? He's this big, giant, yellow bird with a soothing voice, kind of captivating to watch. So I didn't have a, a problem with these two, but I didn't want to be them. <laughs> like as a little kid, I wasn't, you know, what do you want to be when you grow up, Josh? Big Bird. No, I didn't want to be Mr. Rogers. I wanted to be Mr. T. I wanted to be like a Jedi, the karate kid. I wanted to be Rocky Balboa. I wanted to be someone powerful and strong and tough. And I didn't see gentleness as that. Gentleness to me looked passive. You know, we, li- we live in a world where we, we go to games and we chant stuff like, be aggressive, be, be aggressive, Right? And in a culture where we chant that, and I'm not saying that's wrong, but in a culture we chant that, we look at stuff like, you know, gentleness, and we say, "Ah, I don't know about that. If we're too gentle, we could get run over. We could get overlooked. I don't want to be gentle. And so what happens is we end up seeing a a fruit like this as being a fruit that's not that important, not that good, and because we don't see it as that important and that good, we don't really pursue it. We, We just see it as a special occasion Fruit, but I want you to know if that's how you see gentleness today, you're seeing it the wrong way. I want to help you with this today because gentleness is not a special occasion fruit, it's an every occasion fruit. Gentleness is not something that's just necessary for those people over there who have anger management problems, it's for, it's for all of us. And gentleness is not weakness, it's actually, it's actually strength. In fact, I want you to think about something. Remember when I said uh, the fruit of the Spirit is the characteristic nature of God, right? So if you see gentleness as weakness, what you're saying in effect is there's a part of the characteristic nature of God that's weak. I want you to know there's nothing about God that is weak. There's nothing about gentleness that is weak. In fact, here's a definition of gentleness. If you're taking notes this morning, gentleness, according to the Bible, is this. It's strength under control. Gentleness is strength that is brought under control. The Greek word for this was that, that Paul used was the Greek word pratos, pratos. And that word pratos was used when talking about a person in authority who, uh, who did not use the power and authority they had to crush others, but to help someone else. So think about this. When Paul is writing and talking about gentleness, if that's the case, if it's strength under control, if it's, if it's something not used to crush and to harm, but to help, then, then when Paul wrote this, he wasn't writing about gentleness to the powerless. He was writing it for the powerful. Yeah, 
You guys tracking with me this morning? So this morning we dedicated all these babies. And, you know, right now we're in a time in the church when we have seen so many babies being born. In fact, in our church staff right now, we have had five staff babies of people on our full-time staff born in the last, five, in the last several months. Five of them, new babies. And there's pregnant women all over this place. Like COVID, we were like, let's have some babies, right? So we got, we got some babies up in here. And, uh, and so with our staff, we'll go in and visit these babies and, and bring the families some food. And so me and Sarah and the kids have gone over to a few of our staff members' houses. And when we go, I've got these two daughters. My daughter, Bo, she's, she's nine years old. And my daughter, Sunny, she's seven. And they love babies. Like they are, they are mamas in training. Like they cannot wait to be mamas. And so they want to hold these newborn babies. And so we'll set them up. We'll, first of all, ask the parents, is it okay if they hold the baby? And then if they say yes, then we'll put our little children, our girls on the, on the couch, and we'll surround them with pillows. And then we'll take this little baby, and we'll, say, we'll tell my daughter, I'll say, okay, I want you to hold the baby, and I want you to make sure you support the head, no sudden movements, and be gentle. Be gentle, right? Now, I don't look at the baby and talk to the baby and say, hey, I'm going to hand you over to my daughter, and I want you to be gentle. Why? Because the baby doesn't hold the power in that moment. The baby is pretty powerless. Some of you new parents would say, yeah, well, it's been a while since you had a kid. <laughs> but I mean, in the grand scheme, like they don't have the power to crush or hurt someone else, really. They might hurt your sleeping patterns, but they ain't hurt anything else than that. But my daughter, in that moment, I'm saying be gentle because what I'm saying is I want you to take your strength and I want you to harness it, bring it under control so that you can support and care for this one I'm about to place in your hands. This is a picture of what Protoss gentleness looks like. It's bringing our strength under control for the benefit of someone else. Uh, in the Bible, when they would talk about this word Protoss, it was often used when they talked about a horse who had been a wild horse a wild stallion, Bill and Ted's, anybody? Wild stallion who had been brought, no, no one? Okay, I guess I'm it. A wild stallion who had been brought from the fields into like the service of a, of a master. They would call that a protoss horse. You know, we know horses are powerful, right? In fact, to this day, uh, we still measure power when it comes to engines in horses. I don't know why. I don't even know how how they measure that this engine has this many hundreds of horses of power in it because they're different. But anyway, anyway, we'll say that this, this like horses are a symbol of power. And I can, I can attest to that. I, I was raised around horses. I had a horse when I was a, a young guy and in junior high, I worked at this camp and we would do trail rides and we would do wagon rides and we would put, at night, we had these two big Clydesdales and this other, two, this other set of Pertron uh, horses, and we would harness them up, and we would haul kids to, uh, to a saloon to have root beer floats at this camp that I, I worked at. And you'd put like 75 to 100 kids on this wagon, and they could pull it with relative ease because they're powerful animals, right? So imagine there's a horse, and it's this wild stallion, you know, mane blowing in the wind kind of horse muscles rippling, and you bring that horse in, and you break the horse, you tame that horse, and you bring that horse under control, and now you can put a little child on that horse, and it can, it can take them down a trail very gently, 
Let me ask you, is the, is the horse any less powerful now? No, it's just that the strength has been harnessed for the master's use. It's been brought under control for a purpose. This is, this is gentleness. Now, here's the thing about breaking a horse. You probably heard that term before. When you tame a horse, you break a horse. What you're doing is you're breaking the fear in that horse. And what's the fear of? The fear is of the master. What you're doing is you're training that horse to, to come to understand the master ain't going to hurt you. The master is not trying to do damage to you. The master wants to use you so that you serve a greater purpose than just one running around wildly. Because listen, wild horses are not good horses. <laughs> like wild horses have problems with their hooves. They get hurt. They get, there's some horses out near our land that these people that own these horses don't take care of them at all. And they look pathetic right now. Like a wild horse, that's not a good horse. When that horse is, brought under, uh, is tamed and brought under control and is sourced by the master, man, it's such a better life for that horse. In the same way, listen, God has given you some power in your life. He's given you some ability. And what God is inviting you to through gentleness is to bring that power under his control for his use so that it's not only for his benefit, but it's for the benefit of the kingdom and it's actually for your benefit too. So I, I want to show you uh, what this looks like today. And to do that, I think we look no further than Jesus, right? Because the fruit of the Spirit is the characteristic nature of God. And Jesus was a perfect example of the fruit of the Spirit, of the fruit of the Spirit on display. And so if we look at his life, we see this. And I'm telling you this week, as I was studying gentleness and focusing on gentleness and looking at the life of Jesus, it's amazing when you're thinking about gentleness and looking at the story of Jesus, how often you just, it just pops off the page at you. It's kind of like if you're getting ready to buy a new car, you know, and all of a sudden you start seeing that car on the road like crazy. You guys relate to this at all? It's always been there. It's just that now that you're thinking about it, you see it more. That's, that's what happened with me this week. So I'm going to show you some of the, the thread of gentleness that we see throughout the scripture. So let's start off with the prophecies about Jesus. Hundreds of years before Jesus was born, the Bible spoke to the Messiah who was going to come. And in Isaiah, we see a lot of these prophecies. In Isaiah 42, we see some prophecies speaking to uh, the way that Jesus was going to be, the nature of Jesus. Look at this with me. Isaiah 42, verse 1, it says, Here is my servant. So this is talking about Jesus. It's talking about the Messiah, the one who was to come, whom I uphold, my chosen one, in whom I delight. I will put my spirit on him, and he will bring justice to the nations. That's what Jesus came to do. That's one of the things we know he came to do, and he did. He will not shout or cry out or raise his voice in the streets. That's not Jesus. Jesus wasn't screaming at everybody, preaching turn or burn. That wasn't Jesus. Look at verse 3. A bruised reed he will not break. A smoldering wick he will not snuff out. A bruised reed he will not break. A, a, a reed, for those of you who don't know, a reed is a really long piece of grass. So think about a really long, little thin, flimsy piece of grass. Like that's very flimsy, very easily broken. But this verse says that the nature of the Messiah is he wouldn't, if he was interacting with that, he ain't going to break it. It says a smoldering wick he will not snuff out. A smoldering wick is like you ever had a candle burning in your house and you kind of forget about it, and then you come back by later, and it's burned down to almost nothing. I mean, it's just barely holding on, and you look in there, and you can just see on the wick, there's just a little bit of flame just barely hanging on. It says that, that the Messiah's nature is that when he would interact with that, 
he wouldn't, he wouldn't snuff that out, blow that out. That's not speaking literally, literally, it's speaking to his nature. And it's saying that the nature of the Messiah would be, he would be gentle. He's gentle, that's, that's who he is. Gentleness is prophesied over him. We see gentleness in the incarnation of Jesus. If you're new to church, incarnation is not a form of milk. It's actually, uh, incarnation is speaking to Incarnation is speaking to him putting on flesh, God coming down to this earth, wrapping himself in flesh and living and dying for us. And we see in his incarnation, think about that, God, right? God became an embryo and, and allowed himself to be placed inside the womb of a woman he created. And then he grew in that womb, developed in that womb, God. You guys with me this morning? You guys woke? God did this. And then he was delivered into this world. And the Bible says in Luke 2.52, he grew in wisdom. God grew in wisdom. He learned stuff. God grew in wisdom and in stature. He physically grew. God did that. And in favor with God and man. He submitted to his mother and father, an earthly mother and father. Joseph wasn't even his real dad. Like how, how humble how meek, how gentle the Messiah was, Jesus, when he came into this earth. It's, it's, it's amazing what he was willing to do. We see gentleness in the teaching of Jesus. In fact, look at this with me. This is Matthew chapter 5. This is Jesus preaching in the Sermon on the Mount. He talks about gentleness here. He says, God blesses those who are gentle. Now check this out. The whole earth will belong to them. And you say, I don't know about this gentleness stuff. I don't really think it's that important. Jesus, God says in this verse, the whole earth belongs to those who are gentle. That is an incredible promise. Why is this true? Here's why. Because people who are gentle get it. They get that gentleness is bringing your strength under the control of the master. And so get this. God is a good steward, right? He's, gonna, he's only going to give and sow into those who are fellow good stewards. Because, if, because him being a good steward means he can't give to people that are going to waste the gifts that he gives them. He would be a bad steward if he did that. So here's what God's looking for. As a good steward, he's looking for people who will practice good stewardship. And when he finds them, he blesses them and he gives to them. So God finds a person that walks in gentleness, that's willing to take the strength that he's given him and use it under control. And he says, okay, you know how to handle the strength I've given you? Here's more. Here's more authority. Here's more power. Here's more leadership. Church, are you awake this morning? Because I'm preaching good. And this is why, this is why the world becomes your oyster. <laughs> this is why God says the whole earth belongs to you because you get it. You understand how to function. You understand how to harness this strength God's given you. Bring it under control. And so God says, here, you can have more. Here's more. You, do, you, you, you handle well what I've given you. Here's more. So awesome. We see gentleness in the ministry of Jesus when he talks about how we relate to him. Look at this, Matthew chapter 11. Jesus says, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened. Any of you feel that way from time to time? Just, just me and Code 2? Okay, just a couple of the rest of you guys, you can just go ahead and leave, all right? I guess we're, I guess we're good. No, just kidding. How many of you ever feel that way, right? We all do from time to time. We all get weary. It's been a weary time. It's a weary year. It's been a weary season. We hit that from time to time. He says, come to me who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. 
Now look at this. For I am gentle and humble in heart. Humble in nature. Gentle in nature. That's what Jesus is saying. And you'll find rest for your souls, rest for your mind. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. We all feel overwhelmed from time to time. We all feel overcome from time to time. When we feel that way, we can go to Jesus. And when you go to him, here's, here's not what Je- Jesus is going to do this. He's not going to be like, well, I'll tell you what's wrong with you, stupid. Here's why you feel the way you feel. He doesn't do that. Could he do it? Yeah. But does he do it? No. It says he's gentle. He's gentle. And you'll find rest in him. He'll minister rest to you. We see gentleness in the ministry of Jesus. Uh, Matthew 21 This is Palm Sunday, which is actually next Sunday. Jesus is riding into Jerusalem, and he's he's ramping up for getting ready to go to the cross on Friday. This is on a Sunday. And as he's riding in, the Bible says that he rides into town on, on a donkey. And then this verse, Matthew 21, says why he does that. It says, this took place to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet. Verse five, say to the daughter Zion, see your king comes to you, the king of kings, Lord of lords, Jesus riding into town, gentle, and riding on a donkey, and on the foal, and on a colt, the foal of a donkey. You know, Jesus could have come into Jerusalem any way he wanted to. He could have come in riding on some powerful looking giant horse with fanfare, shooting miracles out of his fingertips. He could have done that. He could have, but he didn't. It says when he came in, that he came in in a gentle way. Why? Because that's who he is. We see gentleness all over his, his life. In fact, we even see gentleness in his betrayal. We see gentleness. You remember Jesus is in the Garden of Gethsemane, and he's been praying all night, and he's under intense pressure, so much pressure that as he's praying, and he, he begins to sweat, and begins his capillaries and his uh, head began to rupture, and he begins to actually sweat drops of blood like this really does happen to him. Incredible pressure. And that next day, this mob comes to take him away, to take him towards this purpose that he knows he's going to serve, which is to die on the cross. And it's led by Judas, who is one of his followers. And Judas shows up, and the way that the mob is going to know who Jesus is, is Judas walks up to Jesus, kisses him on the cheek, and that's a, that's a symbol of this. And look at this. Verse uh, Matthew 26, verse 50. This is after Jesus kisses him on the cheek. Jesus replied, do what you came for, friend. Wow, right? Calls him friend. He's in the middle of betraying him. It says, then the men stepped forward, seized Jesus, and arrested him. With that, one of Jesus' companions, this is one of his disciples, this was actually Peter, reached for his sword, drew it out, and struck the servant of the high priest, cutting off his ear. So in this moment, like this is happening, like Jesus is being taken away by this mob, and and Peter's like, whoa, what's going on? He pulls out his sword, and he just starts lopping, and he cuts a dude's ear off. And I I don't know how that happened. Like, I wonder if maybe it was an upswing. Like, how do you chop someone's ear off and not like blast their shoulder? Or was the guy like doing one of these at the moment, and he just caught him just right? I don't know, but he cut his ear off. And so what does Jesus do? Look at Jesus' response. Verse 52, Jesus says, put your sword back in its place. Jesus said to him, for all who draw the sword will die by the sword. 
Verse 53, do you think I cannot call on my father and he will at once put at my disposal more than 12 legions of angel, angels? But how then would the scriptures be fulfilled that say it must happen this, this way? And if you know the story, Jesus heals the guy, puts the ear back on the guy, heals the guy. But, but notice what Jesus says to Peter. Hey, dude, put the sword away. What are you doing? I don't need you to do this. Like, don't you realize I'm Jesus? If I want to right now, I've got access to all the armies of heaven. I can shut this down right now if I really want to shut it down. I can shut this whole earth down right now if I really want to do that. Jesus could have done that. He could have stopped everything, everything. He could have shut the earth completely down if he wants to. He's got that kind of strength, but that's not what he uses it for. He brings his strength under control. Not to do damage to others, to his enemies, to those betraying him, but to what? To serve them, to go to the cross, die for them, so they can be healed, so they can be saved. That's, that's Jesus. I love what it says in John 18. Same, same uh, account here of what happened with Jesus. It says, Then Simon Peter, who had the sword, drew it and struck the high priest's servant, cutting off his right ear. The servant's name was Malchus. Jesus commanded Peter, put your sword away. Put your sword away. Look at this. Shall I not drink the cup the Father has given me? Notice something. Jesus didn't choose the sword. He chose the cup. He didn't, chose, he didn't choose in this moment to display power the way the world does. He chose to disadvantage himself in this moment for the advantage of others. And I believe the call of God for us, for some of you, is God saying, hey, put the sword away. Some of what you're trying to do, don't you realize I can do that myself, but that's not what I've called you to do? Take up the cup. Take up the cup of service. Man, it's a beautiful picture of what gentleness can really look like. And so this is why Paul, later on, writing to the churches and talking to them about how we relate to each other and how we relate to the, to the world, keeps referencing gentleness over and over again. In Ephesians 4, verse 2, we're told by Paul, be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. In Colossians 3, verse 12, it says, therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourself. In other words, put on, dress yourself in this. Be intentional to put on compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Yeah. And then Philippians 4, uh, Paul's talking about what the world should see when they look at your life. And he says, one of the things they should see, there should be an evidence in your life of the gentleness of God that, that, that points them to the nature and the heart of God. It says this in verse five, let your gentleness be evident to all, to all. Everybody say all. all. Everyone should see this gentleness on you as a believer. And then, and then look at what it says, the Lord is near. They see the gentleness this nature, this characteristic nature of God displayed in your life, and it, it lets them know, man, God's closer than I think. I see something in you that, that lets me know God is closer than I think. So the question is, how do we, as Christians, as believers, display this? Now remember, it's the fruit of the Spirit. It's not the fruit of the person. It's the fruit that the Spirit of God produces and, it's, and displays in our life. But we, we do play a part in it. We do have to cultivate a life that is, makes it 
possible for this fruit to be on display, but we don't have to muster it up in our own strength. It comes from God, but we do play a part in it. So how do we, what's, what's the part that we, we play? Well, as I was thinking about that this week, there were three areas that kind of came to mind that I think we need to focus our gentleness in. Three areas where the world should see us, should see the evidence of gentleness on display in our life. Here's the first one. Our gentleness should be observed in how we lead, in how we lead. Just so you know, every one of us is called to be a leader. Whether you're a young kid in here this morning, you're in junior high, high school, you're older, we all lead. If you don't lead anybody, guess who you lead? You lead yourself, okay? But we all lead to some capacity. And I think sometimes when it comes to leadership, we think in order to be a great leader, I got to be outspoken and bold and, and kind of aggressive and run people over if necessary. But, but what we see in scripture is the people who are really great leaders are actually very gentle. In fact, one of the greatest leaders in human history was Moses. Think about Moses. Moses was the guy, you remember him? He's the guy that goes to Pharaoh. And, and, and he's called by God, commissioned by God to bring the children of Israel out of Egyptian captivity. They've been captive for 400 years and he leads 2 million plus people out of Egyptian captivity. And then he leads them for 40 years across the wilderness. And I don't know if you've ever read some of this story, but you're reading it sometimes going, how did he not want to strangle these people? They murmur and they gripe and they complain. And one minute God's doing something incredible and the next minute they're like, why did God do this? It's crazy. And he's leading all this. And he's an amazing leader. He does it so well. And, and notice what it says about him in Numbers chapter 12, talking about who Moses was, what he was. It says, Moses was a very meek and gentle man. In fact, he was more gentle than anyone else on the face of the earth. Wow. You know, there's only two people in biblical history that are called meek and gentle. You know who they were? Moses and Jesus. Both of them were really good at being really gentle, and I would argue, and correctly, by the way, that they're the two greatest leaders in human history, and they were gentle. Gentleness is a great sign of leadership, so if you want to be a great leader, you need to develop in this area of being gentle. 1 Timothy 6 verse 11 says this, but you, man of God, or woman of God, or child of God, Flee from all this and pursue. Everybody say pursue. pursue. Pursue means you're going after something, right? So we're going after this. We're pursuing righteousness, godliness, faith, love, endurance, and gentleness. So our job is to pursue gentleness, not to avoid it, not to display it when we want to and put it away the rest of the time. It's not a special occasion fruit. It's a, it's a fruit we're, we're pursuing displaying on the regular all the time. Why? Because when we display it, it points people to the character and nature of God. It points them to Jesus. 2 Timothy 2 verse 24 says this, in the Lord's servant. Now this is speaking to pastors and leaders in the church, but it's also talking to, to really any of us. This is relevant to anyone. It says this, you must not be quarrelsome, but must be kind to everyone, able to teach, not resentful. Look at this. Opponents must be gently instructed. Those who are in opposition to you must be gently instructed in the hope that God will grant them repentance, leading them to a knowledge 
of truth. Listen, us just yelling at people, screaming at people, getting on to people, like that, if if the goal is to convert and change people, that's not how you do it. If we really want to help people know God, which is what we want to do, we have to practice this. We have to understand. So, so get this. That means you don't have permission to uh, demonize, dehumanize, be disrespectful to anybody made in the image of God. Show me chapter and verse where you get to treat people disrespectfully like that. Can I get an amen? That's not okay. And, and you say, well, they're, they're acting like that with me. Well, so what? You think you act the same way back to the world that the world's acting to you? You think that's going to actually make an impact? No. It's just going to make them think you're just like everybody else. We got to live a different way. There's a better way. Amen? We're supposed to treat people with respect. Titus 3 verses 1 says, remind the people to be subject to rulers and authorities. So here I am this morning reminding you to be subject to rulers and authorities to be obedient, to be ready to do whatever is good, to slander no one, no one, but they're in a different political party than me. So what? Sorry, it's the word of God. Slander no one. Be peaceable and considerate. And here it is, always to be gentle toward everyone. Say, Pastor Josh, I love you. No one did it. (laughs) Wow, okay. I'll try that again. Say, Pastor Josh, I love you. I love you guys too. I'm glad you're correctable. Here's the thing. We we don't get to choose, guys. We don't get to choose when we say, I'm I'm putting this away right now because they don't deserve it. I'm glad Jesus didn't have that approach with us. That would have been bad. See, what we're doing is we we may have this power and authority to act a certain way, to crush, demoralize, but instead we're going to use this power and authority God's given us to make an impact and actually love and heal. We're going to be good, godly leaders. Our gentleness should be observed in how we lead. Here's the second one. Our gentleness should be observed in how we witness, in how we witness. So, we're called, the great commission Jesus gave us was to go into the world and preach the gospel and baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. So here's what that means. We're, we're to bring a message to the world that brings change to the world, right? That's what baptizing in the name of the Father, Son, they're changing. There's a conversion. There's a transformation that takes place. So, so part of our purpose in this world is to persuade people to a better way, to persuade them to Jesus. So if you're taking notes, jot this down this morning. I'm never persuasive when I'm abrasive. I'm never persuasive when I'm abrasive. If I really do want to persuade somebody, I'm not going to do that by just yelling and screaming at them, telling them how dumb and stupid they are. Listen, if I get up here and did that to you every week, you guys would not want to stick around, and you're going to get tired of that act. That's not, that's not what we need. We want to be gentle. We want to do this the way God says that we should relate to people. 1 Peter 3 verse 15 says this. It says, always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give a reason for the hope that you have. So in other words, when someone comes to you and they say, hey, why do you believe in Jesus? You should be able to give them an answer. And that doesn't, you don't be afraid of that. That doesn't mean that you have to be like, well, they're rabbinical, you know, you don't need to get into theology. You can just say, 
man, did Jesus turn my life around? I was a mess. I was lost. I was bound by this sin, and I turned to Jesus, and he freed me. My marriage was a mess, and I turned to Jesus, and my marriage is now incredible. I was, I was sick, and Jesus healed me. Like, what's your testimony? That's your job. You just share what God's done with you. And when you do so, you do it. Look at what it goes on to say here. But do this with gentleness and respect. See, it's, it's possible for us to be very right in what we're saying, but be very wrong in how we're communicating it. And I think this happens far too often. We may be right, but we're beating people over the head with, with the word instead of loving them and showing them and pointing them to, to the real Jesus and who he really was. If you really want to persuade people, gentleness is a key to this. Proverbs 25, verse 15, gentle speech breaks down rigid defenses. Proverbs 25, 15, that same verse in the New Century translation, it says it like this, a gentle word can get through to the hard-headed. I mean, you know, we got some hard-headed people in the world, don't we? You really want to get through to them? It's not going to be by screaming and yelling at them and telling them how dumb they are and how they're going to hell. You really want to get through to them, you're going to do it by gentleness, by loving them, by bringing your strength under control and quieting yourself to listen to the Holy Spirit's leading. Parents, you know, if you want to persuade your children, you've got some behavior in your children that you're not liking, screaming at them doesn't do anything. It's not going to help you. Me and Sarah watch these shows sometimes about... Um, sports teams. And there'll be these scenes sometimes where like the coach is trying to kind of wake up his team. And so he just starts yelling and screaming at him and kicking stuff and turning over tables and throwing. And, and he's doing this. And what's amazing is the documentary crews will turn to the people, like the, the, the players on his team. And a lot of times he's playing on his team while he's doing this. They're just going, Like, can we just get this over with so we can move on? Like, what are you really wanting to say right now? Like, quit with the hissy fit. And they've just tuned him out. You know what I've discovered with my kids, parents? If I just scream at my kids, if I see a behavior in them and I just start yelling at them, that doesn't do anything. What really helps break down the hard-headedness and the rigid defenses is when I go up in their room. Like, sometimes I'll, I'll address stuff, but I'll address it later on. And I'll go into their room and I'll sit on their bed and I'll be like, hey, you okay? What's going on? How can I pray for you? Because I'm seeing this, and I want to help you. And what I've found is, man, they'll begin to open up in that moment. And in that moment, too, because I'm quiet and gentle, I can hear the voice of the Holy Spirit. Because guess what? The Holy Spirit ain't going to scream over your screaming. You want to hear the Holy Spirit, you got to get quiet. And so when I'm gently talking to them, then the Holy Spirit can speak to me and I can address stuff and even sometimes say stuff like, you know what you're thinking right now? Here's what you're thinking. And I've had many times that my kids are like, that's exactly what I was thinking. Gentleness. And let me just say this too. You are gonna have interactions with people and even if you're gentle, they're just not, they're just not into it. You know, there's people that just are just looking for a fight. In the world we live in today, there are people. In fact, I read this week that there are people that are as addicted to anger as people are to drugs and sex and alcohol because their life is such a mess. Now, now think about this, though. Their life is such a mess that the only way they can feel alive is to get angry and to stir up a stink and to get you mad at them. So that's what they do. 
They try to stir up stuff. And when you just react in anger, you just give them a hit of what they want. But if you really do want to persuade them, here's how you do it. Titus 2.8, your conversation should be so sensible, or in other words, it should be gentle, it should be sensitive, that anyone who wants to argue will be ashamed because there won't be anything to criticize in anything you say. That's where I want to live. I don't know about you. I want to be that gentle. I want to be that persuasive with the words God's giving me. So I want to slow down. I want to be compassionate. I want to listen. Listen beyond just what they're saying to the heart behind why maybe they're saying it. And really, really be there for for these people. Our gentleness should be observed in how we witness. Here's the third thing. Our gentleness should be observed in how we restore. And how we restore. So we're called to be people of restoration. God's called us to restore. So, you know, you're at a church called New Song Church. And we want to help people know God. Two words in that that are very important. Help people. (laughs) We want to help people. We want to restore people. And so that means we want to give people a new song, a new story. That's what that that comes from in Psalm 40. And so that means we want to restore those outside of the family of God, but we also want to restore those inside the family of God. And, you know, as a church, we're, we're called to both of those. I think sometimes the church gets it wrong in that we're really good at loving those outside of our walls, but then when people inside of the church mess up or have problems, we just want to throw them away or get rid of them or move on. But that's, to me, that doesn't make any sense. I don't know why, remember, God's a good steward. Why would he give us more sheep when we can't take care of the ones he's already given us? So Galatians talks about how we're to to do this. And uh, Galatians 6 says, brothers and sisters, this is people in the family of God, if someone is caught in a sin, you who live by the Spirit, you who live by the Spirit, living by the fruit of the Spirit, should restore that person gently. Gently. So so here's what that means. That means we don't blow it off. doesn't mean we go, well, we just, what gently means I just can't even address it. No, no, we address it. We just do it in a way where we're not going to crush them, but we're trying to lead them to healing and restoration. You guys tracking with me? It's strength brought under control. That's what we're called to do. And man, Jesus was so amazing at this. In fact, this week, as I was looking at all of this and this thread of gentleness in the life of Jesus, I was brought to this passage in John chapter 13. Jesus is in the upper room with his disciples. And in this moment, this verses, you're gonna see this in a moment, speak to the recognition that he has in the power and strength that he has. Remember, gentleness is strength under control, right? No one had strength and power like Jesus. Look at this, John 13, verse three. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power, all things. So Jesus is the most powerful person in the room. He's the most powerful person on the planet. All things are under his power. And that he had come from God and was returning to God. So Jesus understands fully who he is and the kind of power that he can wield, okay? What does he do with that? Look at this next part, verse four. So he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing and wrapped a towel around his waist. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with a towel that was wrapped around him. 
Jesus, with full recognition of the power of God and what he can do, actually takes off this cloak of authority. That's what he's wearing. Jesus was a rabbi. He had on a cloak that represented his rabbinical authority, his teaching gift. He takes that off, and then he wraps a towel around him and starts washing feet. The lowest servant in the house was the one who would wrap a towel around their waist and wash the feet of people at, at the evening dinner. Jesus disadvantages himself, lays down what the earth would say is his authority and strength to serve. Isn't that beautiful? And this is what Paul references later on in Philippians 2, verse 3. Paul saw this, understood it, and empowered and inspired by the Holy Spirit, he wrote this, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking for your own interests, but each of you for the interests of others. And your relationships with one another have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in the very nature of God, did not consider equality with God something to be used for his own advantage. Wow. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking on the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as man. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on the cross. In, in this moment in the upper room, Jesus disadvantages himself for the advantage of his disciples, pointing us to this greater work that he's going to do on the cross, which is really the whole story of his life, where he clothed himself in that of a servant. He put on flesh, came to this earth, and died on the cross, disadvantaged himself in that moment for the advantage of me and you. He could have crushed us. In fact, the Bible says that a sinner is at enmity with God. You know what that means? You're an enemy of God when you're a sinner. And so as an enemy of God, God has the power to destroy you, to crush you, to end you. But he didn't do that. What did he do? He served you, died for you so he could heal you. Jesus could have taken up the sword. He could have wiped us all off the face of the earth. But instead, he chose the cup. He chose the cup. And I believe the, the call of God for us as his followers is to choose the cup is to put the sword away, to quit wielding it and waving it around, lopping people's ears off, and to choose to say, I will serve them gently in the nature of the God who served. And in doing so, I will steward well the gifts that God has given me. And in doing so, God will give more gifts, more authority, more opportunities for me to build his kingdom in our time on earth as it is in heaven. Can I get an amen? Would you bow your heads and close your eyes this morning? Lord Jesus, we thank you that we serve a gentle God, that you are not quick to pour out your wrath upon us, but that you love us. And because you love us, you are patient with us and gentle with us. And Lord, I pray that you would speak to us today and help us, Lord. We recognize today that gentleness is strength brought under control. And we want to be people who are used for the master's purposes. But we know you've given us a level of authority and power to walk in in this world. And we want to steward that well. 
so that we can be used for your service and for the service of others in this world. So God, help us. Holy Spirit, help us to function and operate and pursue gentleness, to take up and choose the cup. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name, with your head still bowed and eyes closed, if you're here today and maybe you don't have a relationship with Jesus, you've never made Jesus the Lord of your life and you would like to do that today, we would love to help you. We'd love to pray with you and lead you in a prayer. The Bible says that if you confess in your mouth and believe in your heart that Jesus is Lord, then you can be saved. And so I would love to lead you in a prayer today that will help you to begin the journey of following Jesus and bringing your life under his submission and bringing your life in, into the character of God where you can display all this fruit that we're talking about, can be on display in your life for you and for the world around you. So if that's you today and you, you know you're not right with God, you know you're, you're not walking with God like you should be today, I'd love to pray with you today. If that's you, I'm gonna pray a prayer. And I want you to repeat this prayer after me from just wherever you're sitting. And church, since we're in agreement, let's all pray this prayer together. Say it loud and proud. Say, Father God, thank you for Jesus. Thank you for sending your son to die on the cross for my sins. I confess that I've sinned and I need a savior. And I believe that Jesus Christ died on the cross for me. And I believe that he rose from the grave so that through him, I could be raised to new life. Jesus, I give you my life, my past, my present, and my future. Thank you for saving me. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen, church. Let's give those a hand that prayed that prayer today. So proud of you. I want to invite our altar ministry team to come down at this time. If you are here today and you have a prayer need of any kind, we would love to pray for you today. We say at New Song Church that your prayer requests are important. The things that matter to you matter to God. And since they matter to you and they matter to God, they matter to his bride, the church. And so we would love to join our faith with yours. And we believe that there's power that's released when we come together with other believers and pray the prayer of faith with others. So we would love it for you, if you have a burden of some kind, if you came today with any kind of burden, no matter how big or how small it may be, don't leave today with that burden. Cast that care on the Lord today and let us partner with you in faith in that. And if you're here today and you prayed that prayer to make Jesus the Lord of your life, I want to encourage you to do one more thing. Before you leave today, you need to let somebody know. Jesus says, if you confess me before men, I'll confess you before my Father. This is a very important step in, in you walking towards what God has for you in salvation. And, and beyond that, you just taking that step. We, we have some resources. We've got a book we want to put in your hands. We want to help you. So all you have to do is if you prayed that prayer to make Jesus the Lord of your life. And I've been hearing reports the last several weeks of people getting saved. It's been so cool. Uh, if that's you, I want to encourage you, come down, just say, hey, I prayed that prayer and really meant it today. And we're going to get you a book and we're going to help you to take the next steps that are so necessary for you. So whether it's salvation or any need, that's what this time is about. So would you stand with me, church? We're going to go back into a time of worship here just for a moment. This is not a time to check out, to get your purse, to start looking for that tag for your kids. This is a time to focus on God. You have heard a message today about a gentle God who has been gentle with you and who loves you. And so let's, let's, let's react to that. Let's engage with that. Let's respond 
to that love. Lord Jesus, we love you today. Thank you so much. Thank you. We love you. We worship you. We praise your holy name. You're such a good God, and we exalt you right now. We take a moment right now to just remind ourselves of how lost and broken we were, and you were gentle with us and, and waited for us and were patient with us. Thank you, Lord, for saving us and making a way. And right now, Lord, I pray if there's anyone here today who, who has a need of any kind, Lord, that you would draw them to the altars to receive what you have for them. In Jesus' name. Thanks for listening to this week's message from New Song Church. If you have a prayer need or would like more information about New Song, you can email info at newsongpeople.com. If you would like to partner with New Song through giving, go to www.newsongpeople.com forward slash give. And if you want to stay connected to New Song, you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter by searching for New Song People.